Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. With the FCC's recent movement on the Telephone Consumer Protection Act, or TCPA, the FCC and Congress seek to find the middle ground between protecting consumers' privacy and an industry burdened by litigation. Watchdog groups and the private sector are becoming increasingly engaged. The D.C. Circuit has provided the FCC with a roadmap for reform, which Chairman Ajit Pai seems to support, but ultimately, Congress may have to weigh in. How will legislation move in such a partisan environment? And what can the FCC do on its own? Shareholders Rich Benenson and Michael Pryor and policy advisor Greta Joins dive in and explain. Welcome back to another Brownstein podcast. I'm Elizabeth Gore, Policy Director and Chair of Brownstein's Government Relations Department. And I'm joined today by Rich Benenson, Michael Pryor, and Greta Joins. Rich Benenson is a shareholder and a member of the firm's executive committee, and he defends companies in complex litigation, antitrust, consumer protection, business torts, class actions, and security matters. He also regularly defends officers and directors in shareholder and investor claims of wrongful conduct and breach of fiduciary duty. Michael Pryor has built an impressive expertise in the regulatory world of cable, telecommunications, and wireless technology. His deep understanding of the regulatory process comes in part from his time as the Policy Division Deputy Chief at the Federal Communications Commission. And Greta Joins provides her clients with in-depth advice grounded in a decade of work on Capitol Hill in telecommunications and technology policy. Prior to joining Brownstein, Greta served as Deputy Chief of Staff and Legislative Director for Congressman John Shimkus, a Republican of Illinois, where she drafted key legislation and amendments related to those industries, including the Dot-Com Act, the Next Generation Public Safety Technology Act, and the FCC Collaboration Act. So welcome to all of you. I'm glad we could be here today to talk about the TCPA, the Telephone Consumer Protection Act. Michael, maybe you can kick us off and tell us a little bit about what the TCPA is and its status. Sure. So the TCPA uh, was enacted back in 1991, and it was in response to a, um, a growing problem of telemarketers calling numbers at random creating some havoc out in the telephone world and uh, greatly annoying consumers. Uh, to address this problem, Congress passed this legislation. Um, and uh, one of the problems with, with the TCPA is that technology has long and far outstripped what the TCPA predicted at the time. And I think that is a crux of, of really the, the problem today with the TCPA which is being used uh, in the litigation world um, as a cudgel to really uh, extract funds from legitimate businesses trying to uh, reach out to their consumers. It is virtually a strict liability statute, and it has prescriptive damages, um, which can really add up very quickly, uh, particularly if you have a class action. So there has been a big battle uh, for years now between the consumers who view this as important to protecting privacy and industry, which is trying to calm down the degree of litigation that's resulting from the act. 
Okay, thank you. That's very helpful. And given that background, um, there's been some court activity on this particular issue. In March of this year, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals released a long-awaited and important decision in ACA International versus the FCC, unanimously ruling on a number of key issues raised in the 2015 FCC-TCPA order. Rich, maybe you can explain this court decision and various aspects of it that were challenged in it. It's still a little unclear uh, what the impact on litigation is going to be. Uh, Largely, the D.C. Circuit uh, sent issues back to the FCC for reconsideration, and the FCC is in the process of determining what the rules should be around certain of these issues. Um, Notably, uh, the ACA decision uh, undid uh, some FCC guidance on some very important pieces of the act. Uh, And importantly, it's worth noting that the fundamental definition uh, at play of an ATDS, that's an automatic telephone dialing system, uh, was reversed. Simply, the issue there is whether this ability to randomly dial uh, in sequence numbers is a prerequisite for a finding that a technology is actually an ATDS. And so the FCC had taken a pretty expansive view of that definition, and courts had uh, taken an even further expansive view of the FCC's guidance such that even technology that didn't presently have the capability but could have the capability to engage in predictive dialing would trigger a finding that that technology was an ATDS. So that fundamental definition of what constitutes an automatic telephone dialing system is now back in play uh, and is front of the FCC. And we're already starting to see splits in the courts uh, over how that term is defined without the FCC's guidance. There are two other issues probably worth noting uh, from the ACA decision. One has to do with the issue of reassigned numbers. Uh, And as uh, Michael alluded to earlier, there are plenty of legitimate businesses that are using technologies in ways that are often appropriate uh, and legal Even doing that, there is a risk for folks in this space because of reassigned numbers. Uh, Often what happens is a company or a database or a a service provider may have a number, uh, may have obtained the appropriate levels of consent to use that number, but then the the customer drops that telephone number. It gets reassigned pretty quickly, uh, uh, often within two or three business days, unbeknownst to the caller. And so this issue then creates liability because the FCC's guidance said that it's not the intended caller uh, who needs to uh, have received it, but the recipient itself. And if the actual recipient hadn't given consent, then there could be liability even if the intended recipient had given consent. So an out-of-date phone list can can trigger these uh, violations. Is that right? That's absolutely correct, Elizabeth. And as uh, Michael alluded to, it's a strict liability statute with significant statutory penalties. And so on any given day, companies need to be concerned about the fact that their list may be out of date. And uh, in using those lists, they could be creating liability. 
compounding the problem is the fact that there's no easy fix for this. Uh, currently, there is not a technology or a database solution that will tell uh, a provider or a calling center uh, what numbers have been reassigned. There's some mitigation that can be had, uh, uh, but it's not fulsome. Uh, the last issue that's worth noting is about revocation of consent. Uh, and so, uh, while consumers need to give a, a certain level of consent, typically prior written express consent, um, consumers can also revoke that consent. And ACA also dealt with how can that happen. Um, and there is a tension between what is a reasonable expression of revocation and how does that theory intersect with consumers that actually sign contracts where they provide written prior express consent as a material part of a contractual relationship. All three of those issues are currently before the FCC. And uh, again, your question, how this shape litigation, it's already impacting litigation through a split in the circuits. And we expect further guidance uh, from the FCC that will hopefully streamline some of that. Now, given this broad-ranging uh, uh, court ruling from March and all the implications that Rich just laid out, how's the FCC itself responding to the litigation and to the uncertainty and that, that has been sparked by, by this activity? Sure. Well, uh, several months ago, the FCC released uh, a public notice asking for a comment on how it should now resolve these issues that the court put back in the FCC's lap, and it expressly asks about all of the issues that, that Rich just went through. And I'll say that the court, in some respects, gave the FCC a roadmap on how to deal with some of these issues, and there's an expectation that uh, the FCC may follow that roadmap, particularly because the current chairman of the FCC, Ajit Pai, and the, one of the other Republican commissioners sharply dissented to the 2015 order and is in alignment with, in many ways, what the court said about how to deal with these problems. So there's some expectation that uh, that, that some of these uh, broad definitions will be revised and uh, sort of pulled back to more what Congress had intended initially with this. Um, and just I'll note that the predictions around timing of a potential FCC order on this, look to perhaps by the end of the year, uh, potentially after the uh, the midterm election. So we're looking maybe in December for an order that addresses some of these issues. Now, Congress has a place to play uh, in this as well. They're the one that passed the original statute, of course. So, Greta, maybe I can turn to you. Both Senate Democrats and Senate Rep Republicans sent separate letters to FCC Chairman Pai regarding the decision and some of these issues that Rich and Michael have talked about. Can you talk a little bit about the differences in the two letters that were sent and how the FCC may respond to the inquiries that are coming from, from the senators? Yeah, I, th I think if, if you look at both letters on their face, you can it's pretty easy to tell, you know, where people are aligning <laughs> in the Senate today. You know, Markey... Um, was very involved in this issue when he was in the House. So Senator Ed Markey I, yes, from Massachusetts, Democrat. And um, Chairman Thune, who is chairman of the Senate Commerce Committee. Republican yeah. from South Dakota. He is, you know, has a more, I would say, broader approach. I think he, he views TCPA reform as something that we can fix with, 
utilizing different technology, whereas Mr. Markey's letter is definitely more consumer-focused. We need to make sure that all of these rights are being protected. I think the underlying problem with, with TCPAA on the Hill is that it's it's a wildly unpopular issue, and it's really easy to message on the other side of it, which is why Republicans don't particularly care to engage on it. Former Congressman Lee Terry had a bill um, in 2011 that he introduced right after August recess, and um, it was such a disaster. By December, he actually sent a letter to Chairman Upton and said, my bill is terrible. Please don't move it. He opposed his own bill. Yes. You know, I I do think the timing was a little different. 2011, there was a recession. There was a lot of um, messaging online about this issue, um, in particular in regards to college students who were up in arms who felt that, you know, their student loans were going to be aggressively pursued, which was not the intent of Mr. Terry's bill. But um, consumerists and a couple other websites really aggressively went after the bill. And Mr. Terry was in a tough re-election fight. This was not particularly helpful. And then the bill just died. So I think a lot of members are gun-shy to engage on this issue. But I, I also believe that most members understand that this is something that does have to be addressed. I mean, we're just in a different place than we were when you know TCPA was really an issue. I mean, back... You know, when when we first looked at drafting legislation, you were charged by the minute on a cell phone, right? Whether you received the call or made the call. Correct. Yeah. And so it could be really expensive for a consumer if you were getting multiple calls a day if they were... Right, that were unintended. Correct. And so that's just not where we are today. I'd say more millennials only use their cell phones. I mean, they don't have landlines. So if if you go to a pharmacy and you provide your cell phone and then they text you because your prescription is being is ready to be picked up, you know, could that be a violation of TCPA? If you're going to checking in at a hotel and you give them your cell phone number and they text you when your room is ready. I mean, is that a violation of TCPA? Members understand that the current statute doesn't make sense with how um, Americans are using their phones. But they're very gun-shy to engage on it because they know exactly how to message it, and we have evidence of that from the 2011 bill. So I think what's going to be really interesting, especially as you look to December, what is the FCC going to do? Are they going to do something rather small, and then are they going to want to you know, look to Congress to engage more broadly, right? Are they, or are they going to try and maybe take care of some of the larger portions of this bill. My opinion is that Chairman Pai probably doesn't want to do much on this issue. He's been so engaged in trying to combat uh, robocalling that, and he's getting a lot of heat on some other issues currently at the FCC. He's probably not going to extend himself a lot. But um, I think when we look to next Congress, in particular, if you look at the House, if the Democrats take control of the House or if the majority is much smaller, what does that really give the chances for substantial TCPA reform? And, you know, I think we'll have to see. So it's interesting. I, it sounds as though there's consensus that the technology has outstripped the language of the statute and that changes have to be made in the underlying law. But uh, it's too hard to, to tr- sort of move forward on this without looking like you're abandoning consumers. And that makes it politically difficult to make the amendments that we really need. Uh, yes, I would absolutely agree with that. Now, I, I do think there are 
um, more members that realize how detrimental this is to you know businesses in their you know in their districts or in their state, and they want to be helpful. But I think you know you have so many different people engaged on this because you know TCPA impacts so many industries and so many businesses that. You know, when you look at these kind of piecemeal type fixes, which I think is what a lot of industries have been trying to do, it's very difficult to obtain fundamental reform, which is really what we need. And so um, I think a broader coalition or a broad group agreeing to principles um, on a bipartisan basis would, would make the most sense. But in a um, highly charged political environment like we're in right now, that, that is difficult. Well, and it is worth noting quickly um, some of the attention around the TCPA from Congress, uh, I think, emanated from the fact that uh, a lot of the members were engaged in potential TCPA violations themselves. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, one of the common ways to, you know, have a town hall and communicate with your constituents was through text. And uh, those text messages started to generate some interest uh, from the plaintiffs' lawyers uh, and consumer groups. Now, they fixed that problem uh, uh, in a piecemeal way that allowed them to continue to do that. But I think that sort of moment, that epiphany moment, that this very regular practice, this very effective method of communication could have actually been problematic under this very onerous strict liability statute. And I think that was the beginning of what many on the defense side thought would be uh, uh, perhaps a more productive conversation. Um, we'll see where it goes. So their own violations or potential violations really put a spotlight on it for members of Congress. That's very interesting. Yeah, and, and I would say that uh, an organization that helps put town halls together um, successfully uh, had a couple of years ago the FCC decide that those kinds of contractors uh, are immune under the uh, under the act because they don't fall within the specific definition of a person that the act covers now un- unfortunately chairman pie hated <laughs> that decision <laughs> and as part of the public notice i mentioned has put that issue as, as well back on the table and it actually has an effect on another large group of entities that service government debt, um, student loans, and so forth. Um, Congress attempted to provide some relief for those kinds of entities back in the 2015 Bipartisan Budget Act by actually saying that a call to collect a debt owed to or guaranteed by the federal government was exempt. But unfortunately, the FCC screwed that up, too, because they came in and put some extreme restrictions around when and how often you could make those calls. Um, that is, again, another issue that's going to be teed up now. Um, and I might I might differ a little bit with, with Greta's assessment um, in terms of the scope of what we might see from the FCC, um, because... Um, Dealing with what sounds like highly technical issues like the definition of an autodialer, if done in, in a way that Chairman Pai had previously signaled should be done, takes a lot of this liability off the table um, and, and could actually address, from the business side, address a number of these issues. Um, and, and the letters that we were talking about, I think, were interesting because the, the letters from the Republican side tracked 
almost verbatim what the industry has asked the FCC to do. The letter from the Democrat side have tracked almost exactly what the public interest community has asked the FCC to do. So there's a pretty sharp, you know, partisan uh, divide on this one. Um, and and we'll just have to see, you know, how much, uh, what kind of middle ground, if any, that the FCC can, can, can come to here. And from a defense lawyer's perspective, uh, we're hoping for a, a, a marriage of these concepts, uh, something that is perceived by the public and the consumer groups as not a big move, uh, but something that, uh, per Michael's comments, actually has a big impact. Uh, and so even something small like changing the definition of auto dialer or even reinforcing the definition of person could have very wide ranging impacts when it comes to scope of liability and potential defenses uh, around uh, these actions. And again, it's a strict liability statute in essence. And so any kind of limitation of scope or, or possible defenses would go a long way uh, with the defense bar. So Greta, you talked about um, trying to find common ground between Democrats and Republicans and uh, seeing if they can identify some principles that would be the foundation for building a TCPA reform bill. Um, tell me what you think some of those pieces would be or if you have any insight on how that might move forward and whether you think the prospects are stronger in the Senate than the House to actually find a path ahead. I, I do think that prospects are probably greater in the Senate than they are in the House. Um, just being in cycle every two years, I think it just makes TCPA reform very difficult to begin in the, in the House just on a political basis. I also think there are enough members on the Senate Commerce Committee that have kind of seen the evolution of, of TCPA over the years that they have a good understanding. You know, I, I think what makes the Senate difficult, though, is is Mr. Markey and and Elizabeth Warren. And those two senators, I think, really have been so engaged on the issue. You really need a strong, progressive-type voice to partner with on reform from the beginning to kind of make anything that you're working on viable. And my guess is that any sort of large reform package, you would need a conservative Republican, a somewhat progressive senator to introduce um, jointly, and it would likely have to pass the Senate before the House would even consider it. I don't think that you're going to see a companion bill, which I think on the face makes it look like maybe it's not a viable option. But I, I do think if the Senate can really pass something, then, then I think that it actually would likely move in the House. But it's just um, a question, if Republicans do pick up a seat or two in the Senate this cycle, I think it changes the dynamic significantly. So um, a lot of what we're looking at for reform, I think, is what will be much clearer after the midterms, as as most everything in Washington is <laughs> right now. But uh, but in in particular, an issue that um, it has politically been this difficult and touches so many different uh, businesses and, and consumers alike. Well, thank you for your insight, Greta and Rich and Michael. This is an issue that has a lot of moving pieces, and we're lucky here at Brownstein to have a number of folks who have worked on it from a lot of different angles. So um, I appreciate your insight today, and thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein High at Farbershreck podcast series. 
If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Visit bhfs.com for more information.